Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Hi, I'm Lot. Uh, you can find me at Twitter at the Lady of Tarth or on Tumblr at the Lady of Tarth Posts. I'm joined with Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky. I'm at the Chicken on Twitter. And Kama. Hi, this is Kama, and you can find me at uh, Oxford Splice on Twitter. Wonderful. Uh, we are covering a Game of Thrones, Eddard Nine, and uh, just so you know, we do spoil everything. And I will also give a trigger warning for um, possible rape, discussion, and violence. So we have uh, Ned coming out to check out this brothel that uh, Littlefinger's taking him to. He's joined with some of his men, um, Jory and Heward. Um, there's another on Will, I think, is with him. And anyway, Littlefinger teases uh, Ned quite a bit. And it just seems to be like one of these things that Littlefinger just can't help himself doing is like he's constantly needling ned <laughs> yeah like does does he know that ned is is faithful to cat is that what it is i mean like most lords probably would visit brothels from time to time but how does he know that ned is not that guy that, i don't know we don't know <laughs> i think he, i think Littlefinger is just that guy i, I think <laughs> i think his mind is constantly in the gutter i think he's the one always making snarky remarks yeah He's just yeah, a gross think, human. Like he's just yes. gross and irritating. Like, ugh, disgusting. I, how did he man. ever make it this far in life? Right. I mean, I could see if he was like obsequious or something, but he's such a smart mouth half the time. Like you'd think that all these powerful people would just get sick of him and like shove him in a dungeon. Yeah, they have no reason to like you know hold him up into these places of power he's been in. Anyway. <sighs> See, so in this brothel, um, they meet a young whore who is one of Robert's um, uh, women that has had one of his babies. And it's, you know, the baby is quite young, still at the breast. And Ned has a moment where he thinks of Liana and how she told him once that Robert will never, um, you know, never be faithful, basically, and that you cannot change a man's nature. And Liana sounds real fucking wise. Yeah, I mean, Liana must have been all of what, maybe thirteen or fourteen at that point. I mean, she she was she she went with Rhaegar when she was like fifteen, right? Yeah. And the buckets. betrothal happens way before that. Yeah, buckets of common sense, Liana. Well, I, I know. I mean, well, I know people point, I my age, like we're talking well over forty, who haven't learned that lesson. That's pretty smart. Oh, <laughs> oh God! I can change him. No. <laughs> yeah. Some grown ass women never get there, or exactly. men. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. women or men. And did you notice there was a moment, and this is really saying something for George's books, where Ned doesn't want to ask how old this prostitute is because she's so very so young. So young, and this is—he's like, like, I don't even want to know how old she is. This is like the part where I'm just really like, I'm done with Robert, like really done with him. Like, it's kind of like heartbreaking. This description of like. Well, she's very young, but also she's very sweet. And like, she says things like, 
you know, she's, she'll wait for him. She's been given half a year and she's kind of just like, you know, new doting mother. Like, look at how beautiful our baby is. And doesn't he look just like him? And well, she's clearly in love with Robert. Which So how does this wild. work? Like, okay, like you own the brothel and yeah, the king comes and there's, you know, I'm guessing he spreads his favors pretty regularly or his custom. Do you just take those women off the market? Well, what's implied here, and, and Ned Ned basically says that she was probably a virgin, is I would assume that they're giving Robert um, this. I'm going to use really disgusting terms here and say the cleanest women um, because of the risk of um, uh-huh. STIs. STDs. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, so I'm assuming that yes, there was a sequestering for women that were regularly servicing Robert. Like with this girl, you don't get the feeling that it was a night. You get the feeling that, you know, she was, she was in circulation for a little while. I mean, you know, that might have only been a few weeks or something, but, um, I'm, I would assume gonna... that that's the story and that okay. would be why they would keep them sequestered would be to make sure they didn't, you know, pick up anything on it. Again, I really apologize if there are any sex workers who are listening to this. I'm, I've just I, been this, watching not, the this is not This is not something I am endorsing or saying. Just yeah, I'm assuming just, that's what's no, implied just, in the story. I've just like been binge watching The Deuce on HBO, and I'm just like, it just doesn't seem like anything they'd be like down for. Be like, no, you got a regular, great, you got to get back to work. But I, I mean, he, I assume he, it's literally just because it's Robert. Yeah, yeah I would, I would imagine. Yeah, right. and this Sorry is for everyone for taking us this, down this road. Yeah. Well, this is, and this is Chitaya's brothel, which we should probably, I mean, you know, you'll, you'll see it a lot more. This must be the first introduction. I feel and like hers it is. is. Hers is the premium brothel in King's yeah. Landing. The best. It's known to be the best. And so it's kind of not surprising that she would be able to do something like this and, um, kind of keep, keep certain women separate for somebody like Robert. Yeah. So, you know, like all of this, it's just kind of, again, um, it's just deepening this rift between Ned and Robert and, you know, who it's kind of truly revealing things that Ned has been ignoring about, you know, his friend. Well, and it's, you know, with the Liana thing, I mean, this is something we're talking about, you know, yeah, Liana must have been 13 or 14. That means Ned would have been like 15 or 16 at the time. And when Liana told him this about, you know, about Robert never being faithful. Ned's thinking about the fact Ned has already held Robert's firstborn at this point, who is Maya, who we actually, I think just met in a Catlin chapter. Yes. Um, and you know, Ned or Robert was involved in her life and then just dropped her like a bad habit and never saw her again. Cause you know, Maya has this memory of, you know, being a man playing her. with her when she was very small and he, yeah. he never even, you know, like gave her, even a, a noble bastard status or anything. So it's just like Ned or I mean, Robert just can, you know, like move in and out of these people's lives and make them love him and act like he cares about them and then just walk away and never think about them again. It's horrible. Like, cause it's just awful. Like, Hmm. I'm done really with him too. I'm <laughs> okay. This is where we break up with Robert as well as Ned. Okay. Anyway, Ned asks Littlefinger, how many bastards does Robert have? And, you know, we, he, you know, they discuss the one at Storm's End. And, um, he also mentions, or tells him of this 
the twins that were born at Casterly Rock to a serving wench and <laughs> the rumor that it was Robert that got her pregnant. And then Cersei, of course, had them killed and then had the mother sold into um, slavery. So I don't What a feminist hero. Yeah. An icon, really. <laughs> It's pretty repugnant. Um, Is there ever, I don't know if anybody has heard any kind of theories about this, like this woman or, when you hear things like this, you can't help now but think, has this ever been uh, theorized that where did this girl end up? If the woman who Cersei had um, sold off pops up anywhere again. I don't know. I'm just wondering if anyone Mm. had heard anything. Sound you're hearing is me going on to Reddit to look. Click, click, click. Wasn't I just like I chastising I, people for using Google and not using Google? <laughs> I guess I could do this myself. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever heard a, a, a theory about this, actually. Not saying there isn't one, but. Oh, there were multiple women? I thought it was just. No, this one that had the twins. Well, this I'm on. Specific it seems really, yeah, seems really pointed, but I guess it's because she it, was sold. If she was sold into slavery, there's a good chance she's somewhere in Essos, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I think like the point is really just to show what Cersei's capable of, too, right? We just a little obviously, snippet, yeah, yes. yeah. I, I'm not. It doesn't mean there's no theory out there. I'm just not finding one. So okay, curious. To Feel the, free to start one. Yeah, I may have to. No, <laughs> I think you just did. <laughs> All right, let's see. So um, outside the brothel, Ned and Littlefinger are um, suddenly kind of like surrounded by Lannister soldiers led by Jamie Lannister. And I'm just going to kind of read it because it's Jamie. Lannister, this is madness, Littlefinger said. Let us pass. We are expected back at the castle. What do you think you're doing? He knows what he's doing, Ned said calmly. Jamie Lannister smiled. Quite true. I'm looking for my brother. You remember my brother, don't you, Lord Stark? He was with us at Winterfell. Fair-haired, mismatched eyes, sharp of tongue, a short man. I remember him well, Ned replied. It would seem he has met some trouble on the road. My lord father is quite vexed. You would not perchance have any notion of who might have wished my brother ill, would you? Your brother has been taken at my command to answer for his crimes, Ned said. Littlefinger groaned in dismay. My lords. Sir Jamie ripped his long sword from his sheath and urged his stallion forward. Show me your steel, Lord Eddard. I'll butcher you like Eris if I must. But I'd sooner you die with a blade in your hand. He gave Littlefinger a cool, contemptuous stare. Lord Baelish, I'd leave here in some haste if I did not care to get bloodstains on my costly clothing. Littlefinger did not need to be urged. I will bring the city watch, he promised Ned. The Lannister line parted to let him through and closed behind him. Littlefinger put his heels to his mare and vanished round a corner. Ned's men had drawn their swords, but they were three against twenty. Eyes watched from nearby windows and doors, but no one was about to intervene. His party was mounted, the Lannisters on foot, save for Jamie himself. A charge might win them free, but it seemed to Eddard Stark that they had a surer, safer tactic. Kill me, he warned the Kingslayer, and Catelyn will most certainly slay Tyrion. Jamie Lannister poked at Ned's chest with a gilded sword that sipped the blood of the last dragon kings. Would she, the noble Catelyn Tully of Riverrun, murder a hostage? I think not, he sighed. But I am not willing to chance my brother's life on a woman's honor. <laughs> God. Anyway, so oh. 
We have, uh, he says, so I suppose I'll let you run back to Robert to tell him how I frightened you, and I wonder if he'll care. Jamie pushed his wet hair back from his fingers and wheeled his horse around. When he was beyond the line of swordsmen, he glanced back at his captain. Trigar, see that no harm comes to Lord Stark. But of course, then he tells him, you know, kill his men. I actually had a question about that. Okay, before we get to the question, can I just sure. back up and say, before I start standing, Jamie, I really love that Ned immediately acts like he ordered Kat to do this, takes all the blame mm-hmm. so that she can't be <laughs> blamed for um, taking Tyrion hostage. You know, I'm sure with the break with Robert, Ned is worried about what might happen to Kat. And yeah, I think it's kind of romantic how he just immediately. Yeah. He's like, it was me. It was all me. Yeah. When it really wasn't at all. Hmm. Wax Paper Door from the subreddit asks, I have heard in other parts of the Song and Ice and Fire internet that Jory's death is, okay, we haven't really gotten there yet, but sort of implied, is yet another crime for which Jamie must atone. Was Jamie right to order the deaths of the Stark men, especially since Ned was no longer hand at that point? which meant he had no authority and had just taken responsibility for the kidnapping of Tyrion. Or is it something that Jamie should apologize for? No. And I think like the thing with this is um, the, it's clear that Jamie is in Lannister mode because he comes in his Lannister yeah. armor when he's doing all of this. And uh, like, I'm sure it's it kind of a, a you can't just like let something like this. I mean, he didn't have to do it, I suppose, but you can't just let things like this slide either. You have to keep people in check and you can't be just going around kidnapping people's brothers. Well, yeah, but is, is it's not okay. I think the question though is it's not, I mean, okay. Ned just took a responsibility. So, you know, there's a cost with that, but like Ned's men get killed for all of this. You know, they're just pawns. Is that, I think, is what the question is. Was Jamie right to order their death? Okay, here's my take on this. Um, yes, I think Jamie is right because you you have to understand what Jamie's goal is with this entire interaction. And in many ways, this interaction is a really good indicator that as impulsive as he can be, and he can be really impulsive, he also can stop and think really strategically when he needs to. And he absolutely does that here. He sets up this whole confrontation with Ned after they hear about Tyrion being taken. And he, and you can imagine that Jamie has probably pretty recently heard about this. So he sets up this whole confrontation with Ned and he makes sure that this escalates into something that can't be, Ignored. If he just went and sassed Ned in the street and then walked away, um, it wouldn't be anything more than just a really weird confrontation between the two of them, you know, just furthering their dislike of one another. Nothing really happens from that. What Jamie does here, and, you know, you'll get to this later, Jamie actually leaves the city immediately following this, this incident and goes out to the Riverlands and helps his dad start to wage war there. Um, what Jamie does here is ensure that this becomes a thing. He he basically is ensuring that there will be armed conflict over this. And the reason for that to me is pretty transparently that he he is worried about getting Tyrion back. Um we know from Jamie's own chapters that he he doesn't consider himself and let's keep in mind that Tywin finds 
Jamie to be by far the best of his three children. Um, Jamie doesn't even think his dad would do much to get him back when he's a prisoner. And Tyrion is having some of the same thoughts. Tyrion's like, well, my dad won't like the, the blow to his pride. So he'll do something about it for that sake. But as far as actually getting Tyrion back alive, there's very little, <laughs> you know, hope that Tyrion has that, that that's Tywin's goal. But it is Jamie's goal. And I think what Jamie does here is he ensures that this gets escalated to the point where his father has no choice hmm. but to keep going until they either get Tyrion back or, you know, basically go to war with the Starks. And he shows a lot of restraint for Jamie in that he doesn't kill Ned because he could just do that here. But he understands that he, he needs Ned. to not do that. He Tyrion's dead. <laughs> yes. He yes. understands he needs to not do that. And, you know... <sighs> The, the the men with Ned are collateral damage. As far as Jamie is concerned, Ned and Kat have declared war on his family. And we all know what Jamie will do for his family. And it's just, you know, these are just soldiers and he kills them. I, you know, it's really, to me, not any different than anybody he kills in the Riverlands on the Stark side. Yeah, I mean, exactly that. Like these, these, these aren't really like, yeah, you said it perfectly. I'm not even going to add on. And I, I feel very strongly that this is Jamie making sure that Tywin can't slide backward out of this and not push things through to try to get Tyrion back. So, I mean, the next scene of this is a bit heartbreaking, you know, because, you know, we so far have been in Ned's point of view on everything. And, um, you know, Ned charges in to save Jory and his other men. But, you know, it's they're being pulled off their horses and you know Ned manages to kill one but his horse slips from under him and crushes his leg and then uh it seems like um this this wound that he has it's uh, it makes him lose consciousness and then when he wakes up he's alone with just like his dead men all around him yeah and um this is like uh, well the saddest part to me is during the battle Jory actually gets away but then he comes back to fight. I, I don't know if it's Heward or, or Will. One of them is starting to go down on their horse and suddenly Jory comes back because Ned told him to go and yeah. he came back. And so, yeah, because that's very Jory. He, you know, stalwart and loyal. loyal. Ugh. So like this part was really um, well written. I mean, like he talks about like how he's, you know, crawling through the rain and the mud to get to Jory's body. And this whole time, you know, he knows there's people watching him from above or from their windows and no one moves to help him. And then eventually the city guard arrives and they're the ones that, you know, take him back to the Red Keep and he, he's passing in and out. And, you know, when he wakes up again, it's um, he's with Pycelle who's tending to his wounds. And that's the end of the chapter. Uh, and uh, you know, even if he sort of has made all of the wrong moves, I I can't help but feel for him. It's just so. Of course, I mean, you know, he's probably he's, well. <laughs> he does a lot of dumb shit, um, but he is. Uh, he's not. He's a good guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Yeah, he cares about his. He cares about. You know, he cares about the people who are his, you know, retainers and stuff. He cares about all these men. He he really cares about them. He's, you know, and it's so rare 
in the High Lords that we meet to see this Anyone attitude. Anyone who can be bothered, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God, Ned. I mean, the worst part about reading Ned's chapters is it's like in so many ways he's too good for the world that he lives in. Mm-hmm. All right. Any mail for this chapter? We had, um, yes, we did. Um, one other question uh, specific to this episode from Buck O'Hare who asks, so why does Ned keep trusting Peter? Which I think <laughs> I've gotten plot. nothing for you. Plot. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think Liana, smart woman, figured out real quick that Robert wasn't going to change. I think Ned is just not that good with this kind of social stuff. At least not with. I mean, it doesn't make it even that though isn't an excuse because he clearly doesn't trust Peter. Like. <laughs> But he still gives him all this information all the time. I, You know, I've worked with some really crappy people in my lifetime. And I even when you know better, I, I will say, like, it's just hard. Like, if you're, I like to think I'm a fundamentally decent person. Um, it's just sometimes you just, you always have this mindset that maybe other people are fundamentally decent. Like, yeah. even if you know better. Yeah. And it's really, really hard to always be going, no, this person is crazy. This person is a so, you know, sociopath. You shouldn't do this and don't trust them. I mean, when your, your mind is going, oh, well, of course they're going to do that. You know, it's so maybe that's, I think that's probably no, I think you're right. I think you're yeah, right. Too. I think you're right. Well, and, and Ned has the same faith in, in kind of the, well, I'm going to use the term the system, but basically, you know, like the way that the laws work and, and yeah. power structures work. He has the same faith that they will work no matter what. And, and that's yeah. also naive. Yeah. And, but at the same time, understandable because he, he, he's honorable and he believes in things working the way that they should work. So he, yeah. he just kind of keeps defaulting to that with everyone. The epitome of lawful good. That is Ned. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, cast your, your mind way, way back. We got a comment to uh, an old episode, uh, from a storm of, or this is from Podbean, uh, a storm of swords, Jamie seven. So I don't know how many years ago this is. Um, the Jamie, it's Emma Torres is the commenter and they write, uh, the Jamie Cersei sex scene in the book was a rape. Cersei said no, even if it was a no for the place, a no means stop. And she was hitting Jamie in the beginning. She was pushed to consent. Even if Cersei finally said yes, maybe she just said yes because she didn't have other choices. Because she, if she said, because she said no, but Jamie didn't stop. She hit him, but he kept going, etc. When there's a sign of non-consent in the beginning, what will follow will not be consent. I mean, I don't disagree with this. I don't I mean, remember what we said. On here's the thing. Sh- here's the thing. And th- this is kind of what this comes I down to. I have a feeling we actually said that, but yeah. Yeah, it, it's, not, it's not written with a level of consent that I think any of us like. But we have explicitly heard from the author that Cersei does consent. And her only quibble is with the location, basically, of where the scene happens. So... Um, you know, and it, I think this is I, not, if I can say too, just sorry to interject, but like the context yeah. is like in comparing it to the show scene is, mm. is, yeah. Yeah. Well, you have no, yeah. In the show scene, there's nothing to indicate anything else in the book scene. There's a lot to, 
there's a lot to indicate eventual consent. And I understand where people are coming from. They're like, yeah, this is not how we want to teach people to engage in sexual activity. And I completely agree. I agree. At the same time, the the scene is not intended to be rape in the book, as in the author does not intend for the reader to um, to see this as Jamie raping Cersei. And he also does not ever have the characters view it as that. Cersei doesn't view it as rape in any way, shape or form, and neither does Jamie. So there are no consequences for it, because as far as the author was concerned, it's, you know, perfectly consensual. And we can have discussions about writing that better. Absolutely. But it. And I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not how I would want it written. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it, at the same time, I mean, if the author explicitly says, no, she consented, I mean, he's literally the god of the world. And so that is the case. So it's like, is Jamie a rapist in A Song of Ice and Fire? No. But did George write a scene with not as much consent as he should have? Yes. And that's kind of where, where the answer is there. Uh, lastly, we have a Tumblr Anon who writes, I'm listening to old episodes, so this is way out of context <laughs> from where you are now, but just wanted to explain why I personally can't stand Heil. Yes, it's absolutely partially about the romantic competition, but it's also about how blatantly he's a slightly less scary Jamie Standen. It's like with every physical description or interaction, George R. R. Martin is nudging me see, all, see? See how he's funny and dickish like da- Jamie, but without the baggage? Isn't that a much more sensible out- endgame for Brienne? I just find it kind of insulting and eye-roll-worthy. And this is obviously an irrational reaction since Martin is the one who actually owns these characters, but it feels like he's stealing from our story to build up Brienne's post-Jamie death story. If there's a consolation prize in her future... I'd much rather it's someone who isn't just a Jamie cosplay for two or three books or worse, someone who's set up to show her more loyalty if Jamie ends up bailing over Lannister drama later. I would I would not even fear that as being a thing that would ever happen. Like I do not think that George would ever write a Brienne Heil endgame of any kind. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, I hope he doesn't. There's no I way. Don't know. He would not do I, that. To I don't know that there's no way. I, you know, it, it's, it is what it is. And you definitely have tapped into what most of us feel about Heil, which is that he is, we call him like diet Jamie, Jamie right? or Jamie light yeah, like, or Jamie knockoff. He's like the rebound guy and he's not gonna, <laughs> you know, she's going to either go back to Jamie or there's going to be a totally different, I, I don't see him as the guy that she ends up with, even if he is. I think it's that Jamie dies and, and Heil may possibly be the. I love Heil. I don't stand care. In. I love uh, yeah. I mean, like, He's I, a you know, I don't, foil. I don't hate Heil. Hilarious. I, I don't, I don't hate Heil. I think, I think sometimes Jamie Brienne fandom goes a little hog wild hating Heil. And it's like, do you look at the other characters that you like in this series and you hate Heil Hunt? I mean, he's a dick, but he's not, you know, he's really on, this, on a moral scale. I mean, yeah. No, yeah. He's, he's, he's a pretty good, pretty good person for the world. Um, in comparison, is he a good yeah. partner for Brienne? No, no, I think he would be a disaster for Brienne. And I think we all agree on that one. Yeah. I think he makes, I mean, I enjoy his stuff, to be honest. I find, I love that whole little weird little family they got going before they get. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's enjoyable reading. I think he's, oh, I get what, what the Anon is saying. I do. I just don't know that that's where it's going. Yeah. I mean, like, but imagine Brienne's chapters without Heil. 
right? Like, oh God, no. I'm glad no, he's there. No. Me too. Yeah, I'm really he, glad he's there. Yeah. I want so. more Heil, if anything. <laughs> Honestly, yes. I mean, if I had to pick, no, I'm not going to go there. No, I'm not saying it. Not saying it. Uh, <laughs> if I don't get to see Heil and Jamie interact, I'm going to be really pissed, George. Oh, tables will be flipped. Flipped over. <laughs> it's set on fire. He, he said he's writing more because of lockdown. Good. I don't know whether to believe what that. What else are you going to do? Not. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like, why even put that out there? Organize your spices for hours? I don't know. Put in a vegetable so that's our garden. Mail. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, we love getting your uh, mail. And, like, even if it's from, you know, things that we recorded years ago, happy to discuss them and talk of how we feel now or maybe how we feel the same i mean it's kind of fun to actually do that so send us messages at close the door and at gmail.com you can reach us on tumblr at close the door and come here.tumblr.com you can also follow us on twitter at door podcast um please uh consider supporting this podcast on patreon uh like subscribe review wherever you listen um it goes a long way in supporting this podcast And that's going to bring us to the end of this episode. So thank you, ladies, for podcasting. I am closing the door. Get out.